Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. Praise the Lord. So good to see so many of you returning home today, finally uh, at a place of comfort to get out and begin to fellowship again with the uh, gathered church. Uh, we are so thankful and we do welcome our online audience as well today. We are so pleased to have you with us and uh, grateful for the technology to be able to, to fellowship this way. But there is a power and there is a strength and there is a synergy in the gathered church. Amen? God's people coming together for the purpose of lifting the name of Jesus and to be edified together from the word of the Lord is just something special and uh, we certainly cherish it in this hour. And uh, so are you ready for the word this morning? Yes, amen. amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, Pastor Lisa referenced it a little bit ago, but Isaiah chapter 43, if you would turn there and then also hold your spot in the book of Exodus somewhere, uh, most anywhere in the book of Exodus will be fine uh, because we're going to be taking several excerpts from the book of Exodus and the book of Joshua this morning. So... I want to ask you the question this morning in a material sense, maybe to begin with. How many of you enjoy new things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Everybody likes something new, right? Something new, something shiny. A new car, a new experience, a new job, a new acquaintance, a new place. You know, we like to go all those, have all those things new, and there's just, there's just a special feeling associated with new things. But I want to ask you this this morning. How many of you like to go new places in the Spirit? How many of you like for God to lead you to new territory and to take new ground? I would be terribly excited if as many of you raised your hand for that as you did the previous question. That would be awesome this morning. So let me ask it again. How many of you like it when God leads you to new things? Amen. All right. Great. Well, you know what? I usually don't read or preach for response because, you know, I've learned that sometimes people just honestly set their like turnips because they're taking it in. Um, and then other times it's because I'm boring. Um, so, you know, I've, I've learned just not to let the response of people really dictate the message or the flow of the service, uh, but just more or less to go with what God has planned and ordained for that time together. But I want to tell you this very next text I am reading specifically for response, okay? Because when I read it, I want you to expressively just kind of indicate how you feel about the Word of the Lord and the promise of God for your life, okay? Are you ready for this? Okay, all right. Isaiah 43, 18 says this, begins this way. It says, do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Well, at least we know where we're at, right, babe? I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. How many of you believe that God wants to lead us to new places and to new things in this life, this walk of faith, and this spiritual journey? Amen. Amen. 
So here's the deal with it, though, and, and it's often a misunderstanding. When we hear God say, hey, I desire to do new things. I want to bless you. I want to I take you deeper. I want to lead you to green pastures and things like that. We think in terms oftentimes of immediate receipt. Um, it's like if somebody showed up on our birthday with a present and said, hey, here you go. Here's a gift for you. Unwrap it. Enjoy it right now, real time. It's, it's yours. You know, we, we immediately associate it with the verses of God opening the windows of heaven and pouring out blessings that we not contain, be able to contain. We immediately associate it with give, and it'll be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And how many of you know sometimes God does move in those ways where his blessing is immediate and right then on the spot? But how many of you also know that oftentimes God's blessing and the new thing that God is doing in our lives is not as much about immediate receipt as it is a process of acquisition. It's, it's not as much about what's getting ready to fall into my lap as it is what's going to be birthed in my life through the process of following the call of God by faith, step by step by step, only seeing the one step that's put out in front of me at the time, but not really seeing everything that I'm going to go through or endure along life's journey. And when I say it's a process of acquisition, I don't mean that it is a, it's a process by which we glean or gain things. I'm saying it's a process oftentimes by which the mind of Christ and the heart of God is birthed and renewed in us over and over and over to a point that we are prepared to receive the new thing that God wants to do in our lives. You see, oftentimes when we are at point A and God begins to show us visions and birth in us a, a desire for point B, we automatically associate a trajectory that is a straight line from A to B. But God knows that although he wants us to move from A to B, we're not ready to go in and possess point B just yet. There's some process that we've got to go through. There's some, there's some testing. There's some different things that we need to go through. Sometimes we're just not prepared to receive. We're not conditioned for the blessing because we've been living beneath the threshold of God's destiny and purpose for our lives. How many of you know that when God invites us to partake of new things, it's seldom an immediate receipt and it's more of a process? When the Lord invites you to new things, there are a few things of which you need to be aware. And I want to remind you today, church, because all of you are on a journey. All of us are on a journey through this life. Especially if you're a believer today, God has something great in store for you. God has a blessing for your life. It has been declared over you. It's all over your refrigerator. It's on your post-it notes in your cubicles at work. You've got it on your bumper sticker. It's everywhere you can plaster it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and to give you a future and a hope. Ephesians 3, 20, 21. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above everything that we think or ask. I'm telling you, God's got a great big plan for your life. God has a great big purpose for your life. 
And I want you to be encouraged this morning to stick with it and to hang on to it and to pursue it until it comes to fruition in your life. See, when, when we hear God say, behold, I do a new thing, I don't believe there's ever been a bigger new thing than the new thing that he did for a group of Israelites who had been held captive for centuries under the slavery and the bondage of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And he had set taskmasters over them and made their lives hard and their labor was burdensome and heavy. And they began to cry out to God and said, God, would you deliver us from this place? God shows up, says, yes, I will deliver you from this place. In fact, I'm not only going to deliver you from this place, but I've got a plan for you, and it's a plan to take you out of this place of bondage and lead you to a good land, a large land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. That's where I'm going to take you. Consequently, I want to tell you that the place that I'm going to lead you to that is so fine and so fair is only a four days journey from here if you take a straight shot. What you and I need to know is that the journey of faith is always a journey that is very interesting. And there are a few elements, and I want to remind you of this epic journey of God doing a new thing in the life of a nation and how that correlates in our lives. And I want to show you some excerpts today. If you have your Bibles there handy, I want you to go ahead and turn to Exodus 13 and hold your spot there. And one of the things that is interesting about the journey that God leads us on when he's leading us to new things is this, is that the pathway that God chooses may be different than the pathway that we anticipated. The pathway that God leads us on may be different than the pathway that we had anticipated. God begins to deal with our hearts and he begins to say, come on, let's go somewhere new. And in our minds, we instantly map out the route. We, we just know it's from point A to point B. We're so excited. Our thoughts are, well, it, this moment is about me. It's, you know, I'm glad that God has finally recognized me and all of my righteousness and everything, and he's about to elevate me to a new place. And what we don't realize is that often when God says it's time to move and he's trying to move us out of a place and towards another place, it's not going to be a direct shot between point A and point B. But when we step out of our comfort zones and we step out of where we have been, we are stepping onto a training ground that is going to prove us for entry into the new land. That's going to test us, that's going to train us so that we are prepared to receive the blessings that God would give us. I love this. When, when Moses spoke to the children of Israel, Moses came up. These people are suffering and they're weary under the bondage of the Pharaoh. And they prayed and cried out to God. And all of a sudden, here comes the prophet, the man of God, comes storming into town. And he stands before the Pharaoh and he boldly proclaims and says, Pharaoh, let the people of God go. Let them go, and God miraculously delivers them and sets them free. But Moses goes and speaks to the children of Israel, and he says, Listen, God has heard your cry from this place, and he wants to take you to that place. And Moses mentioned Egypt, and Moses mentioned Canaan, but Moses didn't say anything about the wilderness. 
Moses didn't say anything about the wandering. When God began to speak to him and say, hey, you're going to be moved from here to there, he didn't say anything about the hardships. And sometimes, children of God, when God begins to move in our lives and he begins to press us out of our comfort zone and begins to call us to better places and new places and new things, we don't realize what may be between us and there. And this is what Exodus 13 says, verse 17. Then it came to pass when the Pharaoh had let the people go. Oh, Jesus, Lord, here it is. We're about to walk out of this land, and we're going to walk straight shot into our promise. And it says, when it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. That was the easy route. That was the express lane. For God said, God basically said, they're not ready yet. They're, they're not ready to go in and possess the promise. They're not ready for the adversities and the hardship that they're going to meet as they go in to take hold of what God has prepared for them. He says, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. Let me tell you something today, church. There's a lot of you that are all excited about a new thing that God is showing you, but what God is not showing you is the, is the tension and the adversity that's going to wait for you between where you are and where God's leading you. And you say, Pastor, why do you say that? I say that because if there's one thing that the adversary is vehemently against. It is against God being glorified in our lives. If he's vehemently against it, he doesn't care that you're here among those of like faith today and that you sang songs together and that you supposedly glorified the Lord together. What he's worried about is when God's people get a hold of God's promises, it's not going to be contained to the four walls of God's house, but it's going to go out into God's world, and it's going to glorify the name of God, and he's going to be lifted up, and he's going to be exalted, and the adversary is going to withstand you every step of the way as you are getting out of your comfort zone and your place where you're nestled in, and you're moving towards God's new thing for your life. And some of you, if you knew the trouble, if you knew the strain, if you knew the adversity, you would have never let go of your comforts to pursue the good thing that God has in store for you. And God said to them, listen, it's premature. They can't see war right now, so I'm going to have to lead them a different way. They can't go straight shot up through Philistia right now. And the route of God's people all throughout this journey was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, they went through seas rather than around them. They went around cities rather than through them. And they went 40 years on a journey that should have lasted about four days. And finally, we see this group of people early on in their journey up against the Red Seas on one side of them, Pharaoh's pressing in hard on the back of them. And logically speaking, they shouldn't have been at the Red Sea to begin with. 
They should have just went straight up through Philistia, but the children of Israel are there, and we read this in Exodus 14. It says, and when the, when the Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and here's a resounding theme in the entire Exodus. And the, they saw the Egyptians marched after them, so they were afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses, Moses, there's a sea before us. There's an army behind us. It's an impossible situation. Let me just ask the logic here. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? I mean, why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of Egypt just to simply stand here and die in the wilderness? And admittedly, what they were saying is this. If we had known that this is the way that it was going to be, we would have never left Egypt. Some of you right now are on a pathway, and when you started, you knew that you had heard from God. You knew where he was leading you, but because of the route that he has chosen, you're not so sure anymore of the direction, and you're beginning to wonder if you've heard from God at all. And you're saying to yourself, and you're saying to God, God, why did you pull me away from where I was comfortable and where I seemed to be thriving to lead me here in this wilderness for me to perish? And you're calling out. But today, church, I want to remind you of this. It doesn't matter how much the route changes. The destination is still the same. For the children of Israel, it didn't matter how many times the route changed. The destination was always the same. And God said, I'm going to bring you out to a good land, a large land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. No, he didn't say anything about the wilderness. He didn't say anything about the wandering. But even all of that notwithstanding, the destination had never changed. God was going to lead them to that place. And here's the lesson. The lesson in this moment is that they're standing there thinking that God has forsaken them and they're going to die in the wilderness because their trip has been rerouted. But it's just a lesson for them to stand still and see the salvation of their God. It's another growing opportunity. It's another opportunity for God to put something in them that they hadn't previously had. And I want to assure you today that just because you don't understand the route doesn't mean that the destination has changed. Number two on this journey is this. Sometimes when, we're, when God is leading us to new things, the provisions are not what we expected. Sometimes along the way as we're on that route and we're, we're coming to grips with the fact that the pathway may be longer and a little more difficult than we expected, along with that we too realize that we're about to outrun our own resources. And that if God doesn't intervene and God doesn't give us something, we're just not going to make it. And we begin to call out to God and we begin to say, Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you provide for my need? God, if you don't do something right now, I'm about to go under. Such was the case when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And here comes that resounding theme again. 
And that resounding theme is this. It says this in, uh, in Exodus chapter 16. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and we ate the bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. We know what God said. We understand what God said, but circumstances right now tell us that we are going to starve to death. Never mind the word of the Lord. The circumstance says that we are going to starve to death. And I want to tell you something today, church. If we're not careful, we can be right in the middle of God's will for our lives, moving towards his new thing for our lives, and we'll be so busy looking back at what we had and hanging on to what we had that we have no room or no capacity for what God is trying to do in our lives. And here are the Israelites again, and they're complaining about their situation. I have to wonder. I mean, this is Exodus chapter 16. I have to wonder if the wake has even settled yet from where the Red Sea came back together and swallowed up their enemy and they're already complaining again that God's not going to provide for them in this situation. I mean, I bet there's still a little chop in the water right now from millions of gallons of waters being parted and then all of a sudden coming back together. And now they're here and they're complaining Nevertheless, Moses calls out to God on behalf of the people as he always does, and God responds. And I want you to read this with me, Exodus 16, verse, beginning in verse 13. And we're going to read this. And it says, So it was that quails came up at the evening, and they covered the camp. And in the morning dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there was on the surface of the wilderness a small round substance as fine as the frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, and if you've got this in mind, that this is where all the people said yes and amen and glory to God, I think you're wrong. You may not be, but I think you might be. But the people, Moses said to the people, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Now, we sing about manna, and we talk about manna, and we pray, Dear God, give me some manna. I don't want any manna. I'm not praying for God to give me any manna. Understand that. Because when they looked at the substance on the ground, they didn't say, what is it, as a form of inquiry. The word manna in the original Hebrew language actually means, what is it? They weren't asking about the substance, they were naming it. You, you follow me? They, were, they weren't asking about the substance. They were naming it. They were saying, what's that? You, how many of you, I'm going to age myself here for just a minute. How many of you remember the whatchamacallit commercials? It's like, 
what is that you're eating? It's a whatchamacallit. Well, no, what's it called? It's whatchamacallit. This is it. Manna, what is it? What? So in essence, they had prayed to God, they'd asked for provision, and God answered, and they looked at God's answer and said, what is this? And y'all, y'all laughing, but we're getting ready to bring it home. Because there's some of you that you've been praying and calling out to God. You don't understand what's going on in your life. And you've been asking God to sustain you. And you've been asking God to provide for you. And God's been allowing some things into your life right now. And when God answers and God's coming through, you're looking at it and going, what is this? You see, what they were expecting was to get up in the morning and they were looking for loaves of Panera bread and they were looking for loaves of Great Harvest Bread Company to be all up there with the bows and the stickers and everything just laying out there ready to slice up and toast. Just something dropped in their lap. But God provided and and they looked at God's provision and they said, what is this? What is this? Some of you are on your journey today. (laughs) Some of you are on your journey today and you're saying, God, give me strength. And God's giving you a trial. And you're looking in the face of your trial and saying, God, what is this? I prayed for strength. But don't you understand that it's the trying that's going to make you strong? Some of you have been praying, God, give me peace. And God's allowed a storm into your life. And you're looking at that storm and saying, God, what is it? I trusted you for something else, but you've given me a storm. And what God's trying to do is prepare in your heart a truth that says it doesn't matter if circumstance and situation all around you is not like you anticipate or expect that it should be. God can give you peace that passes all understanding. That's what he's trying to birth in you. That's what he's trying to grow in you. Some of you are praying, God, let my faith grow, and he's answering you with testing. Because in that testing, your faith is going to grow. And what we have a hard time with is that sometimes we don't understand that God doesn't always give us what we want, but he will always give us what we need. And we may sometimes be looking at the very answer of God in our lives and our situation and going, God, what is this? And what God knows is that that is the exact thing that you need to move you forward and to propel you towards his purpose and his plan. The issue is that we almost always pray with the immediacy of our need in mind and we see what we see right now in the here and now and God almost always answers prayer in a way that's preparing us for what's ahead. I want to say that one more time. We almost always pray with the, in the context of the immediacy of our need, but God is a God that answers in the context of what we need to get to where he's leading us. And sometimes we hadn't expected what we got in our lives. But I want to remind you again, even when the provision is not what you've expected, the purpose and the plan of God hasn't changed. The destination isn't any different. You're still going through to the promised land. When the provision is not exactly what you had in mind, when the answer didn't come in the form you've expected, don't lose heart because God knows what's next and he's providing in such a way as to prepare you for the new things, the new seasons, and the new blessings. Number three, the processes aren't always what we had envisioned or experienced. 
I, w- I want to ask this real quick here and just be really honest with me. How many of you are church people? How many of you have been church people for a really long time? Right? Yeah. That, that's a wonderful blessing and a rich heritage. And it's also a terrible curse. Because we can get stuck in the rut of, well, we've always done it this way. We can, we can all of a sudden make a, make a doctrine out of a tradition and say that, you know, God only moves when we behave in certain ways. God only responds to certain actions. And sometimes we don't obtain the promises of God because we can't get beyond some prescribed motion or method. And we can't get to the promise. You see, throughout the journey from Egypt to Canaan, God instructed the people in some very specific ways. We've already covered it, but at the Red Sea, they were to stand still and see the salvation of their God as Moses stretched his rod over the seas and they parted. In the wilderness, in Exodus, they, Moses instructed, Moses, uh, I'm sorry, let me rewind here and recap. Um, but in the, in the wilderness, in Exodus, Moses was instructed as the people thirsted to go and to strike the rock and from the rock a supply of water was going to flow out that was going to satisfy the thirst of the people and all of their livestock. And Moses went out and Moses struck that rock. Fast forward a little bit more. Numbers chapter 20. They're they're again out in the wilderness and they're thirsting and the Israelites are complaining and they're whining. They've seen the seas parted. They've seen water flow from the rock. They've seen manna from heaven. They've seen all this stuff. But here they are again. Oh, God's going to kill us in the wilderness. We're done for. We're thirsty. And where are we going to get water? Moses again goes and intercedes. God speaks to Moses as he always does and said, Moses, this time I want you to go to the rock and I want you to speak to it. And Moses says, well, no, Lord, that's not the way we do things at church. No, no, no. Tradition says that we're to strike the rock. Tradition says we've got to do it this way. So Moses goes out with his high, holy, self-righteous self and stands before the people and he gets all righteously indignant with them and trashes them for doubting God and then he himself doubts God and instead of speaking to the rock as he was instructed, he strikes it not once but twice. And God in his graciousness says, right now, Moses, I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to provide. But how many of you know there's a difference between living in God's providence and walking in God's promises? And God, I mean, Moses, right now, while I'm going to provide the need for my people, you, brother, won't ever obtain the promise because you haven't believed me. And that right there is the instance where it is pronounced over Moses' life that he will not enter the promised land. Why? Because God prescribed a method for him. God called him to steps of faith. Not steps of tradition, not steps of dead, dry religion, but a step of faith. How stupid am I going to look now, Moses probably thought, if I've struck the rock before and that worked, but now God says I'm to come and speak to it. 
Moses didn't speak to the rock, but he struck it two times. And listen, with new things sometimes come different disciplines. You may have done some things that you've, you may have to do some things that you've never done before in order to get results that you've never had. There may be some of you right now that God is leading and calling and saying, hey, why don't you get out of the boat? He may be calling and saying, hey, I need you to launch out into the deep. I need you to speak to the rock this time. But you're arguing with God and saying, but God, I've always done it this way. That's fine. God will be gracious and God will provide. But I I want more than the provision of God. I want the promise of God. And why does God instruct people that he's going to do a new thing? God instructs people that he wants to do a new thing and God instructs people in new ways because God wants us to be partakers of and participants in an active faith rather than practitioners of a learned religion. Let me say that again. God wants us to be partakers of and participants in an active faith rather than practitioners of a learned religion. We've become so accustomed to a learned, systematic religion that many of us have become bored with the things of the Lord. We've we've circled the wall one too many times. We're tired of dry liturgies and meaningless repetitions that do little to move us. And sometimes God has to twist the plot just a little bit so that trust is necessary again and we know it wasn't our learned system that brought us from where we are to where he's taking us but it was the hand of God moving in our lives and destroying obstacles and breaking down strongholds fast forward to the book of Joshua and the Israelites are on the brink of their promise 40 years of wandering is about to come to a close, the last obstacle to cross before they get into Canaan and begin their conquest is a Jordan River at flood stage. Oh, it's wide and it's swift and it's, it's nearly incrossable. And I don't know if you see the timing of all of this, but the word of the Lord says that no flesh is going to glory in the presence of God. Paul wrote to the to the church and he said listen the way that you were saved is by grace through faith and not of works lest any man should boast I want to tell you something today church God wants to do some things in your life that only God can take the credit for and here they are at a flooded Jordan River it would have been so much easier to cross at a different time I can almost hear somebody from the camp saying right now why don't we just wait I mean, we've been wandering out here for 40 years. What's a couple more weeks going to hurt? And then we won't have the difficulty of crossing over this flood stage river. But God says, now. But God, it's flooded. And God says, yeah, the time is right. It's now. God, the water is swift and the current of the resistance is strong. And God says, I know. Isn't it great? Let's go. And I can imagine at this juncture, here they are gathered on the banks of the river there at this juncture. I can imagine that there are those among the ranks who are saying, now let's see. Oh, let's see. Flooded bodies of water. Now how do we usually cross these? Um, What is the prescribed method for getting across this time? You know, um, let's see. Well, 40 years ago we did it this way. And I wonder now, is Joshua going to stand and stretch his rod out over the, over the waters and they part as Moses did back then? 
And somebody else might have said, well, God doesn't really move in those ways anymore. I don't, I don't really believe that he's a healer. I don't really believe that he's a deliverer anymore. I don't really believe that he's the God of miracles. I don't really believe that he's in the water parting business anymore. So you're going to have to rely, we're going to have to rely on our own ingenuity to figure this one out. But God said, this time, I don't want you stretching out a rod I don't want you to strike anything. I don't want you to speak to anything. But I want you to step. That's right. I want you to step. I want you to bear up the ark of the Lord, signifying the presence of Almighty God, the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I want you to walk down to the bank of your adversity and I want you to step confidently therein. Yes, there's a current. Yes, there's a tide. That Jordan River flows from the mountains down to the Dead Sea and in the Dead Sea, the makeup of that water and the chemistry of that water is such that nothing can live therein. And yes, there's a current that is trying to sweep you away and take you to a place where nothing lives. There is a current that is flowing that is trying to wash your dream and your vision of anything that God wants to do in your life to a place that is lifeless and void and dead. But I want you to bear up the ark of God. I want you to worship. I want you to set your hearts to praise. And I want you to go down to the waters of adversity. And I want you to step in by faith. And when the feet of the priest touch the water. Oh, always before you've seen the waters part before you stepped in. But this time you're going to step in before the waters will part. Some of you are standing on the brink of something amazing in your life and you're looking on at an obstacle or an adversity and you're saying, but God, you've always done it this way before. God, you've always caused the waters to part so that I could pass through. And this time God's calling you and saying, listen, I know that's what I've done yesterday, but today the waters aren't going to part until you rise up in the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost and you step in the middle of it. I want you to take up the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to proceed with praise. And when the feet of the priest who bear the Ark touch the water, they will part and you're going to cross over on dry ground. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, says this, So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan... And the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away. So the waters that went down into the sea, the salt sea, failed and they were cut off that thing that's trying to sweep you away to something that's barren and lifeless it it dried up it stopped it failed and the people crossed over opposite Jericho 
And you may be facing some obstacles at the flood stage of your life right now. But God says that if you'll clothe yourself in his presence and you'll step forth in praise and walk in accordance with the word and not a learned religion, he'll cause the waters to part and he'll be the way maker that you need and the things that are trying to sweep you away and carry you to a place that is lifeless and barren will be stopped and the currents that are trying to pull you down and hold you under are going to be halted. Stand with me. Some people say that it only took an instant for God to get the Hebrews out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Hebrews. And that may be true, but I believe it's debatable as to how much exactly of Egypt was out of the Hebrews before they went into the promised land. And I'll qualify that statement for you. I don't, I don't think that's why they wandered for 40 years. Because as you read the history of God's people, as you read the history of the nation Israel, you never do find a perfected generation of Israelites. They were a rebellious... They, they had times of shining times when the righteousness of God was, was in their midst and they were focused on the things of God but they had a lot of times when they ignored God and when they pushed the things of God aside and they were idolatrous as a matter of fact they're a lot like us we go through seasons of revival and we're on fire for God and we're very zealous and then the next thing you know we're busy and we forget about God and we, we begin to be idolatrous and we put other things before God We've got other agendas and other things that are more pressing and more prevalent and we go and we tend to those affairs and we've forgotten God. And we never do find a perfected generation among the Israelites. And I want to tell you something today, church. You don't have to be perfect to obtain the promises of God. If you're waiting and you think you're wandering around the wilderness until God can finally perfect you before he can take you in and pour out an abundance in your life, then you're wrong. Because if that was the case, Israel would still be wandering in the wilderness. But God wasn't waiting for a perfect generation. He was just waiting for an emerging generation that would believe that he who had promised was faithful. Because at every turn, the previous generation had said, God's not going to come through on his word. He's led us here to die in the wilderness. He's brought us out here to starve us to death. He's brought us out here to perish. And do you know that the only two, there were two people from Moses' generation that made it through and made it to the promised land. Their names were Joshua and Caleb. And the reason that they made it through is because they were among the 12 spies that were sent in to the land of Canaan to spy out the land. And, and they came back and 10 people said, it's a no-go, we can't do it. We're just going to die here in the wilderness. Can I tell you today that life and death are in the power of the tongue? But Joshua and Caleb said, 
we saw the same giants. It may not be easy, but we are well able. We are well able because he who has promised is faithful. I don't believe that he led us out of Egypt's bondage to die in the wilderness. I still believe that he led us out to take us to the promise. And by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Listen, it's not always going to be easy. And the route from where you've been to where God's leading you may not always be your preferred route. I mean, this isn't Google Maps or Waze. You can't check whether you want the shortest distance or the shortest time. You take the route that God gives you. But the destination hadn't changed. You may not always be thrilled with the provisions, but you can trust and know that God has your best at heart. And whatever He gives you is the supply for what you need, whether it's what you want it or not. the process, the procedures, they, they might not always be what you've been accustomed to and they may stretch you and they may pull you outside of your comfort zones. And it won't always be easy. It wasn't easy for Paul. Paul didn't like being in the prison. Paul didn't like being stoned. Paul didn't like being whipped. Paul didn't like the persecution. But Paul, later on in his life, wrote to his young protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we read these words. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed in. And am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. You say, Pastor, that's easy for you. You're the preacher. I want to tell you something. I have lived this week with a devil on my shoulder that has convinced me or tried to that I'm going under. But I know whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep 